Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. How uh, you know who Garrison Keeler is, the Prairie Home Companion guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He early, early on, when he was a young writer before the Prairie Home thing had happened, he left his writing notebook on a bus and and it was lost forever. And he he just had been refining the stories that would become his career. But so he had to go back and rewrite these seminal stories for him. And at the time he was devastated. But then in hindsight, he said that it actually made him a better writer because he already had it all thought out in his head. Um, And then he had to go back and he had this opportunity to do a whole other revision on it and a whole other take on it with more perspective. With that really great bit of inspiration, we'd like to welcome uh, Matt Keefe from Hot Buttered Rum to the 66th broadcast of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players forum podcast i got think i got it all in there and uh welcome oh thank you thank you it's a great well, way that's a great way to start it but i have to know something right off the bat how do you get a gig science with james nash on the field how do you get that gig? <laughs> yeah that was epic <laughs> we uh you know we're we're buddies with tim flannery the uh retired third base coach um, he's a great musician as well. And, um, you know, we'd done some shows together and then at a certain point I said, man, I would love to do the national anthem sometime. And so I just gave him a call and he's all, I'm on it. And like 30 minutes later, we get an email. From the Giants. <laughs> and then ever since then, we've done it every year. So we've probably done it eight or 10 times now. Now it's great. And it's just a nice uh, part of the year. And we, we go and, um, you know, they give us like 10 seats right behind home plate. And, you know, if you're considering the national anthem is like two and a half minutes long and, and then, you know, these seats are probably worth like $300 each. That's that's a pretty good, you know, per minute rate. <laughs> and we're mostly just big Giants fans. So we we do it no matter what. Well, and that, and that probably was that whole introduction to Taylor Swift that we said we weren't going to bring up in this podcast. Don't so. bring up the Taylor Swift thing. It's just, I don't want to start any rumors. So Okay, we won't. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Richard introduced this as, as a hot buttered rum, but you have three different projects uh, on your website. Um, hot buttered rum being one, uh, beat mowers is another, and then, um, oh crap, brain went just then. Um Oh, maybe Lost Radio Drift is on there? Lost, that's it. Lost yeah. Radio Drift. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, it's great to meet a Lost Radio Drift fan. We, uh, we're we actually uh, a band. It's uh, Yosef Tucker, who's a great, great guitarist. Um, he was like California Bluegrass Association, Bluegrass Guitarist of the Year, and one of the great singers, and he's just an amazing guy. And then uh, uh, Katya Tucker is a great, great bass player. Uh, and we had uh, this amazing trio and we're overdue to get back together. We made an album in January of 2020, which is a real ill-fated time to release a record. And so we actually haven't even released the record yet. We It's still sitting on our disc 
and it's all mixed and ready to go. So I don't know, maybe this is a little poke in the butt I needed to to release that thing, but it's it's great. It's great. I love love playing guitars with with Yosef. Yeah, I, I uh, um, I'm impressed with a uh, sticker on an H13. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, it's ever ever since I got this, I got one of one of your TR models. Man, I'm I I still love that H13, but I was thinking like, why was I why was I playing an H13? You know, actually, I blame Richard Hoover. I met Richard Hoover <laughs> 15 years ago at uh uh Wonder Winter Grass up in Tacoma, and 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 he's like, hey, you know, come come play this, and I just fell in love with this H13. And then I, I wasn't even looking for a new guitar and I'm not saying you put a hard sell on me, but the, you know, the guitarists just sort of sell themselves and Ma, I need one of these things. And then that's what I played in Hot Butter Rum for like 10 years. And it's a, it's a great guitar, but it doesn't lend itself to the kind of like bluegrass and bluegrass adjacent stuff that I'm trying to play. And then I got this a year ago and I'm like, Oh, Oh, all these things are so much easier to play on here. <laughs> it's, it's just easier to get the sound that, you know, that we're going for. Yeah, when that, when that guitar just first popped up on screen, I'm like, wait, did he get the top refinished? What's that? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no. Well, I was, one, I was wondering if there was a, uh, um, on, on the 13, uh -huh. I was wondering if that was a stick-on decal for the wear at the edge of the pickguard. And I know it's not. Oh my <laughs> gosh! There's yeah. some great wear. There's some great wear on that guitar. You can. Oh, uh, you, you can... know, I, I'm a fan of that, and I don't know. It might be you know sacrosanct to other people, but I, I, I'm into the Willie Nelson approach, and you just let it, let it go. No, it, it's, yeah, it's nice to see a guitar. People worry so much about the price of things. But to see a guitar like that that's really just been played and loved is it it's it's great. I think that's fantastic. That's why well, I was I'm not like, gonna I'm not gonna resell these things. Like no right. way. These these are my <laughs> guitars. Maybe you know there, I have other instruments that might come and go, but uh, these the, these guitars are forever. There you go. So what are you working on these days? If you've got on man, I just finished three weeks of um of touring on and off with uh hot buttered rum and hot buttered rum duo and then uh lefty Lucy. So I'll I'll tell you about that. So hot hot buttered rum, first of all, is in really good shape these days. Uh we're we're about to celebrate our 25th year as a band. And wow, uh, and it's amazing. It just kind of keeps on chugging and you know, we haven't gotten too famous or too rich, that's for sure. Um, but then we, it, it also just like maintains this level where we sort of have to keep doing it. And I'm, you know, forever grateful that there are enough nice people in the world to support Hot Butter Rum. But yeah, so we're, we're, we're doing real good. We, um, what's, what's up with us? We, we just kind of have this new, new thing going on. So we are, 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 drummer our original drummer just came back to the band he was our drummer for you know eight years or something and then he had to drop out to have babies and then he he just came back and uh and so it's it's like best friends rolling around the countryside together and 
it's not always like that. I mean, even in hot butter rum, it's not always been like that. We've always been friends, but here it's really evenly dispersed friendship. If that makes sense. Like all of us are really good friends with everybody else in the band. And so there's this cohesion and just this sense of fun and adventure. I mean, actually all five guys who are in the band right now, we all like take vacations together and all of our wives are friends and all our children are friends. And so now when we get together, I mean, it feels a little bit more like that. I mean, we're also like, you know, driving and doing all the hard stuff of, of, of doing gigs, but uh, I, I'm, I'm completely grateful for that. I, I, I'm not sure if I could do it if it, I, I'm not sure if I could keep on doing it like we do it if there wasn't that element of friendship. That's, that's really that's I, a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't take a second of that for granted. Yeah. I, I'm sure that the audience sees that too. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. You know, I, I'm sure they do. Yeah, and so our our approach these days is to do the bluegrass part of things better and you know make the quiet parts quieter like like we'll we'll strip it down to just like a duo and have eric and me sing you know eric usually on the dobro and me on the guitar and then us like singing our kind of duet brothers harmony stuff um and then you know we'll strip it down to uh like more of a string band and we try to do that really well and then when we're doing our you know drums and keys and dobro plugged into a tube amp kind of stuff we're trying to do that really well and um but we're, we're thinking of those more in like different lanes maybe than we used to we used to um I don't know, we had aspirations of synergizing or syn syn synthesize really synergizing all these different things into one one grand thing and i'd say it's it's more in different lanes these days i think we're more more reverent of tradition than when we were 26 years old and that's appropriate i think that, that, that's fascinating because there's a real i don't know from what i see a real resurgence in bluegrass yeah and and it's really great for the people that have been there sitting there you know beating it out for 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 so long mm -hmm. and it, it it's kind of a little forcing of 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 the art form with with what you're talking about. You know, it you're still trying to stay true to the thing. Are you guys working around one microphone, or is everything kind of um, amplified? And, and we do. Together? We're we're a very amplified band, and it's 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 loud and it's a dance party, and that's the primary. You know primary go mode for hot buttered rum and then part of our show will break it down to either a duo we often travel with an ear trumpet large diaphragm condenser microphone and we'll we'll gather around that and do that that's often been a, a really important part of our show uh or if the venue is small enough you know i mean like you know 200 people or less we'll sometimes just go completely acoustic on the lip of the stage or actually it's even less about how how many people there are it's more like the acoustic space and even more important like how how drunk everybody is how how drunk the audience is and if they can handle a, a quiet moment like <laughs> we always do that if it's logistically possible um because those are those are the magic moments and i i mean that's what i seek in 
seeing a music performance is I want everything stripped away and I just want to see what's there at the center. And uh, so, yeah, we, we try to bring that. That's awesome. That's, it's always irritating to me when you have a smaller venue and you have talented musicians and you have a terrible sound system. I'd rather, you know, kill the sound system, mm -hmm. make me work a little bit harder to hear the musicians, but hear them, hear the quality of their playing and the quality of their instruments rather than the lack of quality of the amplification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's crazy. Once you go amplified, you're, you have to go all the way. I feel like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna amplify, I mean, you, you need to have great speakers, you need to have great preamps going into the speakers, good, you know, good quality signals coming from everything. And then, you know, you need to have basically another member of the band working you know, someone who's not playing music, but a, a sound engineer who's like involved in how the band sounds, uh, working, working the board or else you can get yourself, or else you're just not going to be representing what you want to represent. And you might not even realize that on one, you know, on one night or a couple nights, but it, it could add up over, you know, over years and years and like, Oh, I, I didn't even realize that we weren't conveying what I meant to convey. Does that make sense? Yeah. Being a live sound mixer in 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 my somewhat checkered past, that was a very polit very politically correct answer. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that was perfect. Oh yeah, because because you really can, and and I I still see it. You know, I still see it today where people walk into a venue and and the house guy, I, I gotta go um uh, walk my dog. Okay. No, I mean really. I I, I I do a lot of video, and I I've been in the, on on the stage on the stage, where or in the in the house situation where the sound guy said to me, um, "You can handle this. I got to go walk my dog." Oh, I see. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm running. Three, <laughs> I'm running. I'm running three cameras here, and um, uh, I don't know what you did. <laughs> i gotta walk my dog uh, yeah no that was a, a very politically perfect i mean sometimes you, you come across house engineers who are some of the most enlightened beings where they you know maybe they started off traveling and traveling didn't take to them but they still want to you know keep the you know keep they're they're inspired to be part of that art form but then they it, but then there's there's other sound engineers who are at like the end of the road of something and they've ended up in this situation and yeah it it can get dark unhappy dark fast <laughs> what yeah, about I... your projects so i guess during covid you i don't know if this was just during covid you did the the beat mower um stuff which is a yeah, very yeah. different I mean, was that just a kind of a one-off or is that something that you do in the background and, and um... well, well, we should, let's explain to your listeners uh, yes. what happened. So, so um, during, you know, during, during the lockdown, we couldn't get whole, a whole band together. Um, and, and, you know, we were still continuing to play when it was possible, you know, in little backyard get togethers, open outdoor things, you know, we would bring, instruments into golden gate park and you know sort of like 
convene in a dispersed kind of way, you know, all that, all that stuff. We were, you know, fo following the rules, but then also like giving the people what they want. But it wasn't possible to have a whole group enough to create music for dance music, right? I mean, you know, you need, uh, you know, a bass, a mandolin, a banjo, a fiddle, or 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 you need drums and bass and key. You know, you know, you need like a bunch of people to do that. Wasn't basically yeah. possible. So, um, so it kind of pressed me to get my electronic music thing going a bit more, uh, which has always been a part of my mix i've um you know in college i did a bunch of kind of avant-garde electronic music stuff where i would go like re record like when i was in ghana in 1999 i went around and i i recorded everybody saying the same phrase in their different languages uh because you know ghana has like 50 different languages in it which is crazy and wow. and then i put together this this you know what i hope was somewhat aesthetically pleasing uh, sound collage of of different people saying different things. Anyway, so I used to do more kind of avant-garde listening to music like that with electronics. Uh, but then, um, I don't know, I, I, I would say I, I had I had uh, an enlightening moment at like 4 a.m. at Burning Man uh, in maybe 2008 or 2006. Um, where I was dancing around the man and, you know, there was this great electronic music playing and I'm like, I could do that. And, and I, I had this vision for creating electronic music out of mostly acoustic sources and, and uh, you know, use the electronic tools to manipulate acoustic sounds to create awesome dance music. And, so that's always kind of been part of my MO. And then I would say that integrates with the other thread in, in my little story of uh, uh, involvement in West Africa. I've been to you know, Ghana like three times. I'm in East Africa once and, and very much in African music, very much into African traditional music and African uh, drumming traditions. And I, I love how that music is put together. It's this relationship to um, polyrhythms, to lots of repeating rhythms that uh, interact with each other in really sophisticated ways. And it's so sophisticated that it needs to happen again and again and again. And you, each time it happens, you go deeper into it. So it's sort of this cyclical approach to music that is different than the European approach. The European approach, you know, European classical music is, uh, you know, one of the other brilliant traditions in music, but that it has a more linear approach. And it's, you know, like most aspects of bluegrass music are part of that, where there's a chord progression. You, you know, you start on the G chord and then you go to the A minor chord and then you go to the five chord and then, oh my gosh, and then you're back to the one, you know, and it, it and it, it, it moves you forward in this little story. The, and so that's kind of linear oriented music. And then, uh, you know, cyclically oriented music, lots of repetition, uh, sophisticated rhythms that you have to hear lots of times to understand and get deeper into. So, um, all right, so that's West Africa. Then we're back at Burning Man, 2008. And I have this vision for how I want to incorporate this like West African tradition with acoustic 
instruments and uh, with with electronic tools, and um, and then that that idea has been sitting in my mind for a long time. But then the pandemic came along, and it I really had this impetus to make it happen, and uh, and so I, you know, got the right gear. I did a bunch of self education, and. Uh, got my game going and it's been so much fun i love 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 playing solo electronic music and uh you know part of part of my stuff is is in a more traditional dj role where you're you know spinning other people's tracks that's maybe half of what beat mower is and then the other half is is original compositions and it's uh stuff where i've um uh, recorded my friends recorded uh people in rwanda and ghana and Zambia, um, and then also, you know, samples that I've found of various things um, all, all over the place. So all of that is to say, <laughs> long-winded is that, uh, short, uh, short story long, is that uh, uh, that all happened during, during the pandemic and it kind of allowed us to have dance parties. And so I would do, you know, Friday night streams. And, you know, this is after like a long week of pandemic lockdown and, you know, my wife and I, we at that point, what we had a three-year-old and a five-year-old who were just like bouncing off the walls and like under-socialized and, you know, under-rompist. And, uh, you know, all it was, it was a hard time for everybody. People with young kids, it was a, a very specific kind of hard time. But so it would, it, would, it would come to be Friday night and Aaron and I would like put on some nice clothes. We'd turn on the camera, I'd get the beat mower thing going, we'd have a couple drinks, we'd turn on the disco light in our living room, and I'd, you know, play music, and we'd sort of get messages from friends, and, you know, it was it was a weird little kind of party. And then, then since the pandemic, then now I get all these offers to go and play beat mower, and I've played beat mower at festivals, like late night sets of festivals. Um, I, you know, just for occasions, and it's no big deal for me to just come and bring a backpack full of gear and I've done it for actually lots of money. <laughs> People have offered me. I've made like more money in one day doing beat mower than almost any other day, any other single day. Uh, I don't know, whatever. But you know, you you can get offered a lot of money. But then it's also really easy for me to just do it for free for for friends because it's like no big deal. You just like bring the thing and plug it in. So yeah, that's been a that's nice awesome. Time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and what you brought up about you, uh, your trips to Africa. Um, there is a flavoring through your music that that to me has definitely an Afro or Afro-Caribbean kind of uh, um, vibe to it. Um, it's not overpowering. It's like just the perfect amount of spice, you know, added oh, good, good. to a really good meal that just makes you stop for a minute and go, ooh, that's, that's a little different. I really like that. <laughs> Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm just obsessed with uh, African diaspora music. And I mean, I think maybe uh, if I could do an academic pursuit, um, maybe that'll happen later in life. I don't know. Um, but an academic pursuit for me would be some kind of project, you know, studying deeper the all the all the fingers of the African diaspora. And, you know, it's, the, you know, it's, we're talking about like the transatlantic slave trade. It's like one of the worst atrocities that happened in the history of humanity. And then it's this, but what it also did is it, is it put in touch African culture with all these different European cultures and native cultures. And then they've 
just come together in all these interesting ways. And even with that kind of dark curtain behind it, it's endlessly fascinating stuff. And it's, and it's created, you know, all the popular, most popular music in the world is some combination of African music and European music. Right. I mean, I, is there a... It, 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 it just, it's absolutely fabulous because with all the crap going on in the world right now, you, you've found this inspirational, unique root. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a flash. It's you, you're talking about the root mm -hmm. and that's, that's where it grows. It's really cool. And, you know, people and people, some of my friends in West Africa and to a certain extent in East Africa are very much aware of that. And, um, and it's cool. It's, 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 it's a cool thing. It, it, it inspires a lot of humility and perspective on, you know, even what our life here in America is and, and what it's, what it's built on, you know, you can, get a little high on your horse here uh and i'm i'm not the kind of person who is just always gonna you know poo poo our past or you know be too too down on things but at the same time you gotta be humble <laughs> you gotta be humble <laughs> amazing that the the ugliness of of that whole thing turned into what it it turned into in american music and yeah. And, you know, and, and, and really, um, it, fascinating. Just fascinating. Well, it's interesting in the ways that it's developed even beyond, you know, uh, into all the, the, the latest, uh, hip hop and, and, uh, other types of music that, um, I don't know if you could actually say there's any European influence on that. I think that's a uniquely... Yeah. American African kind of uh, um, uh, entity, or uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's yeah. uh, very unique to in my ear. Yeah, harmony and chord progressions take even more of a backseat than they, you know, much much more than in rock and roll, yeah. uh, and a lot less than in jazz. So, why did you? What was the motivation to start going for that? It, it, what was the motivation to for Africa? I mean, it's not around the corner. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, so when I was, what, 17, 18 years old, my mom went to Mali. My mom is a great musician, um, great harpsichordist. She's into Baroque music, early music. That's actually why they came to California. Um and, you know, she's a real uh, keyboard whiz. Um, and then then she kind of retired from performing to have me and my sister. And then she got back into teaching later on. But anyway, all, all that is that she had this this phase and this obsession with West African culture and music when I was about 17 years old, an impressionable youth. And um, so she was playing a lot of West African music around the house. And then I read one of the books that she had around the house. Um, it was sort of a dry ethnomusicology book called uh, African Rhythm and African Sensibility by John Chernoff. And the, it, it actually 
is the thing that inspired me to go to West Africa um, and, and Ghana specifically. Um, and, you know, I won't get into all the details, but basically the, the, the gist of it is that the context of music is what it's all about. And, and, and that you have to be there to understand how something works. And it's actually that each, each music has its own social context that it takes place in. And after reading this book, you know, like any kind of travel, it, it makes you think, you know, makes your the familiar strange and the strange familiar. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, what are the sociological implications of, uh, you know, bluegrass music that I'm playing right now? Or, you know, how, how, what, what is the social context of it? How do we put this together? Um, and then, you know, I, cause before that I would maybe just think about the technical stuff or, uh, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that's about that. Uh, but then, then, uh, I was able to go and do a semester abroad during college in Ghana and it took a little doing, but I found it, found a way to do that. And then I got a grant from my college to go travel afterwards. And I, uh, recorded a album of, you know, field recordings and, you know, modern musicians playing new and, um, traditional music. And then I made a movie, you can see that on YouTube channels is is pretty sweet. Um, and then I made a made an album. Um, and that was that was that was like so I when I graduated college, that was my focus. I'm, I'm I thought that I would do something closer to that. But then this this hot hot butter rum thing um just kind of took off and then you know I haven't really been able to get off the train. <laughs> not not that it's like a rip-roaringly fast train or anything. <laughs> I sometimes wish it was a little more of a rip-roaringly fast train, but, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's what I do. Well, <clears throat> being able to stay together with the same musicians for 25 years, that's pretty special. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. There's got to be something really good happening there to keep people together for that long a time. I mean, the creative process can be really hard on, on a group of people trying to work together. And, you know, that's why so many bands break up so quickly and so easily and, and people float around as much as they do. So to, to hear that you found people that you've been able to just not only create, but spend all your time with for that long. I mean, yeah, my wife and I have talked about it a couple of times and uh, of all the people we know, there's only two of us that are still married after 20 years. <laughs> um, you know, everybody else on, on second or third wives and then, you know, they just can't make it work. And I think it's even harder on musicians because it's a, it's a whole different kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, sometimes, yeah, maybe even more multifaceted. I, I don't know. It's probably similar to a marriage, just that there's, uh, you know, you're spending your time together. You have sort of, you know, creative acts, a creative act you do together. There's like money and logistics. I mean, it's all all the things that, you know, all these opportunities for conflict. Yeah. Well, then it gets more so when you have five people involved rather than just two. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I I I, I want to go deeper on 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 root here. So. Where does bluegrass come in? Oh, I see bluegrass as being one of the great, yeah. one of yeah, the great. 
what uh, brought you what what brought you to bluegrass from west africa i mean oh well i was in bluegrass before that my my dad is like a parking lot picker and he's a great singer a great songwriter um you know plays guitar and mandolin uh and has a love of you know living room music you know playing music with his buddies in the living room playing you know uh and he he took me to the California Bluegrass Festival, which I, I think became Grass Valley Festival. Is that right? Um, and he he took me. I mean, when I was a young young boy, I remember seeing you know Doyle Lawson play, and um, God, who else did we see? We saw Hot Rise play, and um, and there's always bluegrass around the house, and and he has this big vinyl record collection that I've inherited with all the Ralph Stanley stuff, and. Um, and then he was, he was also, a you know, a sixties rocker guy too. And so I got all the Beatles and all the Rolling Stones and uh, what, what, what an amazing musical family. Your, your, your mother was a yeah. harpsichordist coming yeah. from a very, I assume a very classical yeah. uh, European background and, and your dad is into bluegrass mm. and rock. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. did you start playing? Oh, and I was, I mean, I'd always kind of played a little bit, but, you know, in earnest at like age 10, something like that. Um, wow. And at first I, w- I wanted to play bass because uh, Paul Simon Graceland had just come out and I loved the bass playing on that. Uh, but then they, you know, all the adults in my life convinced me to play guitar first. Um, but then then I, I went back to bass in high school. I was like the bassist in the jazz band. And, you know, I was, that that was my thing, upright bass. Um but then when I was traveling at age 20, I took a semester off off of college and like traveled through Asia. And I was just going around with the guitar and I'm like, this is what, this is, this is my, this is my lane. I, I need to like sing and, uh, you know, be able to lead things. And, and uh, you know, some, some of those moments of kind of being in a little guest house in the Himalayas with, you know, uh, you know, a family of Nepalis there. And then, you know, no one speaks any English or just like very broken English and we don't speak Nepali. And, and, and you know, playing, you know, finding music that could connect with other people was so much fun, so much fun. I, and, and, it, and it really so, set, set the course for a lot of things after that. So I'm, I'm, I've got this image in my head of you in the Himalayas, in a little cabin or house of some kind, playing bluegrass standards for uh, Nepalese farmers or, and people. It's, uh, That's pretty much it, yeah. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I'm going to have to let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, the, the guitar and the singing was part of it, but the real, the real banger was that my, my buddy, who was really not a noted dancer, he would dance. And, and people would be like, wow, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you are doing the dances of your country, you know, thank you for sharing the dances of your country. And word got like, word got out up, up the valley that we were hiking up, you know, we're like hiking up this long Himalayan valley for days and days. And, and like, as we were getting higher and higher, people, people would come down and say, oh, please, you know, please come and stay at our place. We, we've heard that you guys are the famous dancer and the guitarist and uh <laughs> yeah and we're like wow this is great this is 
this is what I want. This is so much fun. <laughs> and then it, then it opens up the opportunity to have a real cultural exchange. You know, it, it's not just us going and like looking at the beautiful things and, you know, and, and just enjoying the exoticism. You can kind of break through that and make a real connection at least about something with someone else. And no, that's, that's, a, that's a special thing. I think all of us who are in a music have a version of that, that, that we've enjoyed. I mean, it's a real special thing about music. Uh, that's an awesome way to open doors. That's, uh, <laughs> that's really incredible. I, I was going to say that, that, that's pretty obviously the Taylor Swift attraction too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Let's not let that rumor go any further. Travis, Travis is a big guy. Um, <laughs> Thank what you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, I I still want to hear about the the the, the radio project. Um, Dig in. Lost yeah. lost radio drift. Well, well yeah. Well, so then we had the pandemic, and then they then Yosef and Katya had a baby, and then they just had another baby. So it, we the the idea was was to release the album and then you know do a string of shows, and we we haven't done that. But you know, I still see them. I saw saw Yosef actually on uh, on on Sunday. And uh, you know we're all, all all good buddies. But you know what, Yosef uh, is going to be part of my holiday show that I put on every year at the uh, at the Independent. It's called the Nat Keith Concert Carnival, and it's this variety show that I've been putting on at the Indy for this will be the 18th year, believe it or not. Wow. And uh, and I always invite you know 20 musicians, something like that. Um, and and then I like I I organize it a lot. I, it's very well organized, but then there's a lot of flexibility too. That's that's how I generally like to run things in in life, and and so Yosef uh, is gonna be part of it. Um, let's see what who else is gonna be there. A bunch of uh, AJ Lee's band, Blue Summit is gonna be there. Um, uh, Elliot Peck is gonna be there. Um, we're gonna do. We're gonna bring my Burning Man project. Um, Field of Flowers there. I haven't talked about this yet. This year, I was part of this amazing art installation at Burning Man. It was, it's like, uh, so it's like deep playa, like out in the open part of the desert. And you walk into this space and there's 160 four foot flowers that are made out of silicone and PVC piping, but they're like beautifully crafted. And inside of each flower are like hundreds of LED lights. Then each flower has a battery and a little mini computer chip and a speaker. So it's 160 speakers. And I was in charge of the music. I was definitely not in charge of any other technical aspect of it, but I was in charge of the music. And um, and it was it was like quite a quite a challenge to figure out how you, you know, how you work with 160 speakers and and you know, we wanted to create this certain like the certain mood. It wasn't like party time mood. It was like, let's slow things down. And the um the the result was pretty dazzling. Anyway, that's gonna be at the concert carnival. And um and there's gonna be a film premiere and a friend of mine is gonna do her uh femme fatale as sort of a, a clown act. Uh and she's going to uh uh, teach the art of uh, French love making at the show. She's she's from France and she's this amazing actress. And um, yeah, anyway, 
that's that's that. But uh, Yosef is going to be there. Maybe we'll do some some uh, lost radio draft stuff. You you have some dates for that? Uh, December seventeen at the Independent in San Francisco. Excellent. We'll make sure to include a link to that for people who are in the San Francisco Bay Area. That sounds quite amazing. Oh, and then the only other thing I read about it was, uh, what do you have against four chords? <laughs> What's that? Oh, wait, are, are you talking about the actually strictly bluegrass rules? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is, these are not my, these are not my rules. These are, these are Yosef's rules. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when there was the, um, uh, you know, there's hardly strictly bluegrass that happens in San Francisco every year, of course. Great festival, great civic institution. We all love it and respect it. The the Yosef and some of my more bluegrass oriented friends, they they started having actually strictly bluegrass parties, like the night of hardly strictly. And and there yeah, there were rules. Like the first rule was uh no craft beer. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, I, I really that. appreciate that. I really yeah. appreciate that. Um, God, what were the other rules? I, I I think four chords were allowed, but only under certain circumstances. Okay. Uh, there was a no dobro rule that was controversial. Because um, I don't know, I think dobros came into the picture of the bluegrass story a little bit later. I mean, it's all hilarious, but we, you know, but you you go in there, you 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 try to kind of stick to the rules and and. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what I, I read through the rules and most of them made a fair amount of sense. But when I read no four chords, I'm like, well, wait a minute. What what, what they got against the four chord? <laughs> I mean, you got to go way back. If it's if it's just like ones and fives, you know, you're you're like more on the old time bluegrass music divide a bit more. Uh, but I personally, I'm 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 open to four chords. Talk to Yosef. Yeah. About that. yeah, yeah. Them youngins with them <laughs> four chords. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no no craft beer i can get behind that though i don't know in san francisco it, it may be hard to find a lot besides craft beer so <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's not kind of a bud light um uh, center of the world <laughs> <sighs> well so how are, how are things at santa cruz these days Seems like well, Santa Cruz Guitars is just crushing it. Like everybody wants to. I mean, I I go around the country with this thing, and people are, you know, very covetous. And I mean, Santa Cruz has a really, really good reputation. Yeah, it's um, Tad Tad Tad's quite a a large procurer of them. Um, but uh, he uh, they're getting ready for some stuff for Nam that uh the actually the last podcast we did was with um a wood supplier that is reintroducing a tone wood it's a uh, bald cypress it's been extinct and they found a uh, um they found a, 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 a kind of a, a small little clearing of it but it's all salvaged um and then there's some pretty special uh, top stuff coming out. I think this one bald cypress is going to top $100,000. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, for the guitar? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, 
we've we've gotten a little bit of spattering here and there, and I haven't seen Richard for a few for for about a month to get any more information. But there's apparently going to be four guitars that will stop people cold. Wow! Oh my gosh! I I hope yeah. I I get it. <laughs> one of those that is so exciting yeah um i guess they're 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 in the process of the, some display cabinets for them and 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 that right now um i did play one of the uh new zealand sunken cypress tops and the wood's green wow i mean when you see it it, it, it it's been in the water so long and it's so aged that it, it it's green mm. you know um the grain pattern what was some of the grain patterns they were talking about had like 50 to 60 per inch which yeah, is the, ridiculous yeah which just means that it grew a very little bit for a long time yeah yeah so for really you know like stuff that we see now is like three or four maybe mm. rings an inch and 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 again it Richard and his dedication to reclaimed materials and to redone, um, they have a they have a log that floated down the San Lorenzo that ended up at the mouth of the San Lorenzo there in Santa Cruz, and they ended up with a pretty good chunk of that mm. um, for tops, uh, for redwood tops. So there's. It, and I've seen I've seen pictures of that that wood and it's it, it's unbelievable it's it, it and you can only imagine how that guitar is going to sound. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're not they're not making the Martin one hundred year anniversary thing with a forty five pound guitar. You know, they're they're going to make something that's going to be very very playable and you know hope it goes to the right hands, but. I guess Nam's going to be Nam's going to be pretty pretty amazing. There, Richard's doing some things right now that are really revolutionary, and I think are boy, if if you could get the medal of freedom for guitar building, he's. There's not a golden era. We're in the golden era right now. That everything yeah. they're everything they're making is stunning. Just I don't know how they do it because <laughs> you'd think there'd be some duds. Well, because and and it goes beyond artistry and craftsmanship. There's uh, so many practical concerns about you know sourcing and and having you know having the right people there and running this big shop and then not to mention like marketing and you know making sure you're selling the things making sure you're profitable enough making sure you got all the right people on board i mean it's it's a huge operation and, and sometimes the people who are brilliant enough to you know be the craftsperson aren't brilliant enough to run the company or you know find the right people to run the parts of the company that they can't or have a vision for where the company's going yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, he, he he's looking down the road and a lot of things like, OK, I'm going to everything will be OK when I finish this guitar or something like that. And he's looking down the road to to how they can bring this more into the industry and how they can 
how they can, you know, from his wood stash, how they can supply that for other people and pretty much guarantee that they're going to get an unbelievable sounding guitar, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> which has always been the, the custom yin yang, you know, yeah, you're going to, yeah, I'm going to have a custom guitar made and it's going to be exactly what I want. And sometimes they come and sometimes they're duds and, you know, and then what, well, it's custom you now. It probably happens more in the electric world than it does in the acoustic world. But yeah, I, I, with with my guitars, I, I guess with the H13, I had, I I needed, I wanted it to be a 14 fret instead of a 13 fret H13, mm -hmm. and 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 so I, I had to customize it that way. And then Richard had a few ideas about how to do the bracing a little bit different. Um, and that guitar just turned out brilliantly. I mean, I I, I couldn't be more happy. This one, I, I got it completely stock, exactly the way that Richard and Tony Rice wanted it. And oh. I, I feel like sunburst. That, you got a sunburst top. That's I got I got a sunburst. That's a little bit a little bit off off script, but uh, I I think everything else. I think everything else. Yeah. Well. The, uh, the H model has always been really great. And, and in the past, they have made them 12 fret and 14 fret. Um, in fact, my, I have two H's and they're both 14 fret. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful size and shape and feel um, of mm -hmm. guitar. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't recommend it for a bluegrass uh, uh, situation. Um, for a lot of other things, it's nice. But yeah, not bluegrass. <laughs> I, I always felt like the H13 worked well for me like with the smaller body, um, you know, playing in loud situations with drums and whatnot. There was a little less banging around of the sound inside the sound hole. It always just felt like it was compact and I could deliver this, this you know, good, solid sound out of it again and again. Yeah. No, we're, we're... You did. You you did. Okay. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. You did. You did deliver. Um, electronics in that. What do you have in there? In yeah. Your, okay. In... Well, this is this is my off off script stuff here. I'll show you here. I've got oh. three three different pickups. So the the first is um, an LR Bags Lyric. Um, which is a internal mic. And I really could not recommend that more. It is so, so, so great. Um, it, it sounded great. I have it on three different guitars. I have it on the H13 and then I have it on my like, you know, Beater Martin. And um, it's such a good pickup or su such a good internal mic. Um, and then I've got um, a K and K in there that is pretty darn good. Um, I end up, using it a good amount of time. Um, and then uh, I've got this, this Sunrise uh, magnetic pickup. And, you know, depending on the situation I'm in, you know, if I'm playing like a duo gig with Eric at the Freight and Salvage, um, then I'll use just the, just the lyric. If I'm, you know, plugging into an amplifier and, you know, playing with a jam band, um, I'll use just the Sunrise. Uh, but then most of the time I use a combination of two of them and um, I've got a, um, a, a Felix preamp. Have you ever seen those where you can um, 
mix mix two different sounds and it's, it's got all the right knobs it's a really really good piece of electronics uh pretty much everybody has them these days uh all all the cool kids and uh so i i use that and i mean when we started off 20 years ago there were not the electronics and there were not the pickups like this there have been so many material improvements in how to how to do things um, so you can just it, you can just deliver such a better acoustic tone under more under more circumstances than you could you know, 20 years ago. That, that's great. Thank, thanks for that information. I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of times, sometimes that's secret stuff, you know, and and uh, thanks for sharing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All those wires hanging out the back of the guitar. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what I found is that like a lot of people used to use stereo input jacks, you know, it's like a tip ring sleeve thing. And then, right. then you have, and then, so, so you have like one, one jack here and then you attach one, one pickup to the tip and one to the ring or to the sleeve. And, and then one, one is the ground. And then that single cord goes out and then it splits into two things. And you plug it into two different things. And you know, it's an expensive cord. It's a cord that breaks. Sometimes the tip ring sleeve connection is tenuous. So I, ever since I went to just having separate jacks and, you know, so what if you have two quarter inch cables coming out, you know, it doesn't matter. I, 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 I buy these cables where, where it's two, two quarter inch that, that are attached to each other. And then, you know, and then they just come apart. And so it's basically one cable, but then it just splits right before I, I plug it in. And it just makes it so much easier. It's so much easier. Yeah, it took me yeah. a long time to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Really, you guys, really interesting. Um, some wonderful insights. I, I one thing that really comes out of out of these podcasts, and when we pick, find out people's kind of where things come from your musical family wow how great yeah yeah, yeah. uh well uh, you know now i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and watch some of your other other podcasts now i'd love to see the happy trom one and uh did you get happy, james on there too do you have you done this with james yeah we did it with james um and, and, a good interview yeah james james has promised to come back um there's uh, uh brandon lee adams i don't know if you know who he is um he was kind of seems to be like a Tony and he's got a, uh, a PBS um, show on uh, Virginia bluegrass on Virginia PBS. And right. they, they were nominated for an Emmy this year. He's in his second season of production, but it's just like him and John McEwen sitting around in his, in his house. Um, he restored a, a house in Virginia, and he's kind of using that as the set, um, and especially follow uh, his his work. Um, uh, Colossi, um, this absolutely crazy bluegrass picker, um, a, a windfielder um, in Italy, and wow. this yeah, this guy plays with his son on trumpet. Okay, so, <laughs> a ton of fun, you know. Just a ton of fun, um, but uh, we really appreciate your time. I'm, I'm sure uh, 
Richard and Josh do as well. And thanks very much. Have a have a great rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. you bet. I I appreciate you guys like uh, uh being prepared with some good questions and you know being being open to talking and um this is uh, a lot of fun. Great. Well, it was great talking to you. Check out the uh, the the podcast we did with uh, James May. Check out his ultratonic pickup. You may want to uh, upgrade that K and K a bit. You'd be amazed. Okay. <laughs> You'd be amazed at what it could be. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, will the James May? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a tone tone Dexter is is uh, kind of his product. I'm sure you you've encountered those in a few situations. Cool. But um, oh, we'll do. But uh, yeah, we tried to. Uh, give everybody a voice and we really appreciate yours so have a, we're gonna have a long a long list of credits at the end of this podcast to link all <laughs> yeah. the various projects but uh we're glad you were able to talk about them and uh december 17th that can, i think i'll look forward to that good yeah come on up come on up we'd love to, love to have you we hope you enjoyed this installment of the santa cruz coffee break for more music related fun please join the santa cruz guitar players forum at SCGCPF or Santa Cruz Guitar Players.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.